February 8th. And now, as we turn our attention to the reading of the New Testament, our narrative today will be from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 31. We'll go through chapter 26, verse 13. Here is an overview of what we'll find there. We'll see that when Jesus Christ returns, it will be a time of separation. The wise will be separated from the foolish, the faithful servants from the unfaithful, the blessed sheep from the cursed goats. The wise virgins had oil and were prepared to meet the bridegroom. Many people profess to be Christians, but do not have the Holy Spirit and are not born again. They may mingle with the saved, but they are not really one of them, and they will not enter into the marriage feast. His coming also means evaluation. As we wait for the Lord to return, we must invest our lives and earn dividends for His glory. Christ gives us opportunities that match our abilities, and the one-talent servant is just as important as the five-talent servant. The key is faithfulness to God's calling in your life. Wherever He has you, be faithful. For God measures us against ourselves and not against the other servants. Are you afraid to step out by faith and take some risks for God? When Christ returns, as we shall see as we read here, it'll be a time of commendation. We will be surprised to learn about ministries we performed that we thought were insignificant but that He will reward. This parable is not teaching salvation by good works. Christ's sheep know that they're sheep, but they do not always realize what their service means to Christ. We will experience some surprises in that day. And now, let's continue our Bible reading here in the New Testament. February 8th, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, through chapter 26, verse 13. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne... All the nations will be gathered in His presence, and He will separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left. Then the King will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed Me. I was thirsty, and you gave Me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? And the king will tell them, I assure you, when you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. 
I was naked, and you gave me no clothing. I was sick, and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I assure you, when you refused to help the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover celebration begins in two days, and I, the Son of Man, will be betrayed and crucified. At that time the leading priests and other leaders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, to discuss how to capture Jesus secretly and put him to death. But not during the Passover, they agreed, or there will be a riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had leprosy. During supper, a woman came in with a beautiful jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste of money, they said. She could have sold it for a fortune and given the money to the poor. But Jesus replied, Why berate her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but I will not be here with you much longer. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I assure you, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be talked about in her memory. Psalm 31, verses 9 through 18. Here we will read about some foes that David had. David's enemies persecuted him, lied about him, and spread a net to catch him. Where could he turn for help? Only to the Lord. If the hand of the enemy is against you, find safety in the hand of the Lord. And we'll read about feelings. David was ill, possibly as a result of his own disobedience. See, God can use enemies and sickness to chasten us and bring us to a place of submission. David's enemies laughed at him, and his friends ignored him. All David could do was turn to the Lord for help, and the Lord did not fail him. We'll read about faith. The emphasis is on David's faith in the Lord. Because of his faith, David was not ashamed, but rejoiced in God, and enjoyed the smile of God upon his life. He knew that God's goodness would carry him through. There's a lot of people who think there's only two approaches to anger. One is you can just ventilate it, and the other is you can control it like a civilized person. Some people say you can ventilate it, but Christians, Christians control their anger. And that's, they say, the only two things you do with anger. You can either give in to it or you can, you can control it. And that's not at all what the Bible says. The Bible is nowhere near as simplistic as that. And the Bible says if that is your understanding of anger, you're in for a lot of trouble. It says in the book of Hebrews, Beware, lest a root of bitterness remain and springing up defile many. What that means is that you're, supposed to, you're not supposed to deny your anger. If you have that view that says Christians don't get angry, you're very likely to deny it when it's there. The book of Hebrews says you should always be extremely aware of where, whether, and how much anger you've got. Because if it's hidden, see, 
If it remains and it's hidden and you're not aware of it, you're not being aware of it. Beware means to be wary or aware of something. If you're not aware of how much anger and whether it's there, you're going to be in trouble. It will defile you. And so obviously suppression of anger is a wrong thing. A lot of Christians, because they're taught that they can't be angry, Christians don't get angry, it, they, you will call your anger anything else but anger. You'll say, I'm depressed, because Christians can get depressed. That's not so bad. You'll say, I'm upset. Christians get, get upset. You can say, I'm worried. Of course, Christians get worried. But you don't say, I'm angry, when actually you are. Secondly, the word be angry must also mean that not only is anger something not to be suppressed, but secondly, that anger is sometimes required. This is a command. Paul actually says, be angry. He doesn't say, now Christians don't get angry. And he doesn't even say, now Christians, you know, if you do get angry, I guess that's ha inevitable, but you know, it's really a bad thing. He says, be angry. And that means that anger sometimes is required, go further than that, or put another way, it means that sometimes if you're not angry, you are wrong. See, anger is something that God is doing constantly, something that is true of God, and therefore it can't be a sin. In fact, you can go this far. This is a bit of a tangent. I'm not sure there's any emotion that we know of that's a sin in itself. No emotion is intrinsically wrong or intrinsically bad. They're all created by God. They go bad because they're tainted with sin. They're like fruit that get rancid. They're like, they're like, uh, uh, you know, they're like food that goes bad. But in themselves, they're fine. I'm not sure there's any emotion that's wrong. Well, you say, what about hate? It hates anger. And besides that, God hates evil. He says so. In fact, when David is at his best, he says, I hate your enemies with a perfect hatred. Perfect hatred, you see? Hatred is something that God's capable of, so it can't be necessarily wrong. It's only wrong if it gets sinful. What about anger? We already said that. What about worry? Somebody says, worry is a bad thing. Yeah, but worry is just concern gone bad. See. Concern, a, a, a deep concern for someone's welfare or, or, or the health of something, concern, worry is just concern gone bad. Well, somebody says, well, what about, you see, when you start to think about it, you begin to realize that there really aren't any bad emotions, they're just emotions gone bad. Now, what about anger? We have to keep this in mind about anger. Last week we defined it. This week we said, let's take a look at Jesus getting angry and God getting angry because those are great examples. Last year, week I gave you an example I won't go into now. And that's the example in 2 Corinthians 7 where Paul talks about anger being indignation and a zeal to see justice done. In Mark 5, we see Jesus getting angry. When Jesus is about to heal a man who has a shriveled hand, the people around him, the Pharisees, start to watch because they can't wait to find him seeing if, see if he violates any of their Sabbath rules because it's the Sabbath day. And if he violates the Sabbath, then they got him. And Jesus gets angry, very angry. Why? That's the key. Anger is energy aroused in defense of something good and released against something evil. That's the reason why it would be wrong in many situations not to be angry. Anger is energy aroused in defense of something. You want to defend something. If you see something that's threatened, that's wonderful and good, and you don't get angry, you are not a good person. If you see somebody uh, being oppressed, if you see somebody being used, if you see uh, justice being trampled on and you don't get angry, you are not like God. God has to get angry because he's good. In fact, the more good you are, the more righteous, the more holy, the more pure, 
the more loving you are, the more angry you're going to get when you see certain things that need to be defended. Anger is, is energy aroused and therefore it's released against something that's evil. Psalm 31, verses 9 through 18. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am in distress. My sight is blurred because of my tears. My body and soul are withering away. I am dying from grief. My ears are shortened by sadness. Misery has drained my strength. I am wasting away from within. I am scorned by all my enemies and despised by my neighbors. Even my friends are afraid to come near me. When they see me on the street, they turn the other way. I have been ignored as if I were dead, as if I were a broken pot. I have heard the many rumors about me, and I am surrounded by terror. My enemies conspire against me, plotting to take my life. But I am trusting you, O Lord, saying, You are my God. My future is in your hands. Rescue me from those who hunt me down relentlessly. Let your favor shine on your servant. In your unfailing love, save me. Don't let me be disgraced, O Lord. For I call out to you for help. Let the wicked be disgraced. Let them lie silent in the grave. May their lying lips be silenced. Those proud and arrogant lips that accuse the godly. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. That is why I hate pride, arrogance, corruption, and perverted speech. <laughs> 